0: And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is God's word. The father we meet tonight in scripture is much healthier than many fathers. Of course, many fathers would never want to trade places with this father, because they do not think this father is as healthy as I say he is. Just look at the man. He is on his knees. He is begging for mercy. He is overcome by anxiety for the well-being of his son. His family needs have become everybody's business. In fact, he is so distraught... He does not even care that a crowd is watching him as he churns in desperation and neediness. But this father has never been healthier. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. No parent this desperate for Jesus' power will ever fail to receive the blessing of Jesus' kingdom. But not all parents are given the grace to become this desperate for Jesus. But everyone who becomes so desperate for Jesus will receive from him that which they hunger for this father has never been healthier for he is alarmed and cares that his son is under the dominion of satan so many fathers don't care this father has never been healthier for he knows Who to fall before, who to beg before, who to bring his son before. So many fathers don't even know. This father certainly seems to be a man who has been touched by the ministry of Elijah, which we heard about last time we were together. Do you remember how the last day's ministry of Elijah fulfilled by John the Baptist is described by those final words of the Old Testament scriptures? Malachi 4:6, "And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Hearts of fathers to their children, hearts of children. To their fathers. What a a wonderful world Jesus has come to make. He makes a father yearn for his son when the son is in the worst possible condition. And the son, after he is healed and the demon cast out, surely the son now yearns for his father who brought him to Jesus and begged Jesus to do what only Jesus could do for him. What a new bond, heart-to-heart, is created through the power and love of Jesus Christ in homes. If we could follow this father and son home, watching them go, arms over each other's shoulders, we would see more and hear more of their mutual rejoicing in Jesus for all he has done for them. Beloved, this kind of celebration will be Will be so much of what heaven is about for those first 1,000 years. It's going to be loud. <laughs> now, if we look a little more closely at this Father, we see three important things about him. We'll see these first, and then we'll get to our Lord's most striking and severe rebuke. So, three important things about the Father. First, He is not cold and calloused about the danger his son is in. He is alarmed. This is the mark of a godly parent. They are alarmed at the condition of their child, the godly parent. This child is having seizures. The English translation uses the word epileptic. It could have translated it severe fits. The King James uses the word lunatic. It's a debated translation question. But whatever it is, we know it's a demon. The demon who possesses him often tries to hurt him, even kill him, throwing him into the fire, trying to drown him by throwing him into bodies of water, rivers, lakes, something. The son has suffered this way, Mark 9 21 tells us since childhood. But the father has not given up on him. The father has not moved to Vegas and taken up with a new wife. The father has stayed with his deeply troubled, harassed son. The father has not abandoned him, nor has the father said to himself, I'm just going to let the boy solve his own problems. A boy under Satan's power, a girl under Satan's power, would never on their own seek God's power. R.T. France, New Testament scholar, says in his commentary, quote, there is no instance in the Gospels of a possessed person appealing for Jesus' help for themselves. Jesus often responds to parents' appeal. So many of his healings, Jairus' daughter, are his gracious response to a parent's appeal for the touch of death and the devil's power. We just saw one of these in the previous chapter, didn't we? The Canaanite mother who came crying out for help because her daughter had a demon. So many of these in the scriptures so that parents would never think Their problem is not Jesus' problem. Parents, remember, if your hearts are already turned toward your children, and if your hearts are already filled with great concern for them because of sin and Satan, that means the Lord has already himself begun a good work in you. Because that is not natural. It is not natural to be concerned for sin and Satan's power over our children. It's a work of God in you. So don't be looking at your concern and saying, I've been so concerned since childhood. The Lord must not be hearing me. The fact that you are concerned is already the presence and power of the Lord in your heart. He is ripening something wonderful in drawing you into the throne of grace. The second most important thing about this father is that he wants what Jesus wants. In verse 16, it is clearly stated what the father wants. He wants his son to be healed of the unclean spirit. In verse 18, that is exactly what Jesus also wants and exactly what Jesus also does. It says Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of the boy, and the boy was healed instantly. The father of the boy and the Lord Jesus wanted the same thing. This is a work of grace in the father. Because it is not always the case that parents want what Jesus wants for their children. It is not always the case. Later in the same book, Matthew chapter 20, the mother of two other sons, the sons of Zebedee, she will come to Jesus too. And she too, like the father in our text tonight, will fall on her knees before Jesus. And she will make a petition to Jesus. Do you know what she asked? When Jesus explicitly said to her, what do you want? She answers this way. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. That's what she wanted. Not all parents want what Jesus wants for their children. That day, she did not want for her children what Jesus wanted for them. Jesus wanted those two brothers, and this is in his words right after his answer to her. Jesus wanted those two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, to be lowly servants to all the others that is not what his mother asked for in James 4:3 the lord says something to all parents about their children you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions in other words something fathers and mothers are begging jesus for is not what he wants for their children, but it's what they beg for. They're praying, but they're not receiving, the text says. They want their child to have worldly benefits, but Jesus wants their child to have eternal benefits, which will often mean worldly losses. Almost always it means worldly losses. Why? because the Lord is such a good shepherd. He is such a great treasure. He knows that the satisfaction he wants to set in the soul of the believer must have something to contrast itself to. And so he lets us be discipled in such a way that we see that he is worth more than the world. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Parents, remember, Jesus does not give you whatever you want for your children. But he will give you what he wants when you come around to wanting it too. James 4.3. In Matthew 16.26, Jesus said, What will it profit a man, I just said this, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Many parents just want their children to gain more of the world. And they might think they're being modest when they say, I don't want them to gain the whole world. Beloved, to want what Jesus wants is for your child to keep their soul. The third important thing about this father is he goes to the true source of all power, Jesus himself. Notice verse 14 and 15. This man has been waiting for Jesus to come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, to come down with Peter and James and John. But he does not ask any of these three newly arrived disciples for their help. He's already tried the other nine. But he doesn't have anything to ask of the new three. He goes right to the Lord Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord, recognizing that Jesus is not one of the disciples, but that Jesus is a man with disciples. He is the Lord. The Father knows there is no deficiency at all in the power of Jesus Christ. This Father has listened well to the reports. It is Jesus who has been casting out demons all over the region of Galilee. The Father has listened and pursued information. It is Jesus who, by the Spirit of God, brings the kingdom of God into the present age. As he himself said in his dispute with the Pharisees about whether his power is from Beelzebul or not. This Father knows the true source of all power. It is Jesus. He knows the heart of Jesus. It is a heart that can be begged successfully for mercy. Now that, beloved, is quite a heart. But that is the that is a heart that first comes from heaven in our Savior, Jesus Christ. His is a heart that can be begged to respond and protect and supply and deliver on the grounds of mercy, not merit. That is not a common heart among men. (laughs) It is the heart of Jesus Christ. The Father knows the true source of all power. Parents, remember, the source of all power that you need for your children the source of all power against all errors, against all evil spirits, against all doctrines of demons, against all that could possibly bind your children to evil, the source of all power is Jesus Christ. It is only Jesus Christ, who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power you need for your child, is not in a book. The power you need for your child is not in a conference. The power you need for your child is not in their education. All these things are good. All these things are right. All these things are helpful. Do not disregard them. But do not let them silence your needy voice before the throne where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God with all power. Do not think, well, I got the books, I got the conferences, I got the right schools. And you kind of lull yourself into a prayerlessness because you think the power is like a horcrux hidden in these creaturely things. If Jesus Christ does not destroy the works of the devil, how you want and when you want, and your children, do not turn away from him and seek power where there is no power. Continue at his feet. He is the only source of power. And that may be one of the reasons why he keeps us waiting, so that we would continue. And work out in our own prayer closet that we truly believe he is the only source of power. And he doesn't allow us to run away so quickly to some earthly thing that has no power. Now, this last point about the father going to the true source of power brings us to the disciples and to our Lord's rebuke in verse 17. The nine disciples who did not go up the mountain could not cast out the demon and heal the boy. When Jesus hears this report, he speaks very strongly, most severely. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? The Lord is quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 20, Jesus is speaking of his disciples, but not just his disciples in this very severe rebuke. He is also speaking of the entire generation of Jews whom he walks among in Israel. The disciples' lack of faith to cast out the demon causes Jesus to comment fiercely about the lack of faith that afflicts the entire generation who have grown up in the church of that age. The disciples have a pathetic faith. The Lord says so in verse 20. Because they are taken from a generation who has a pathetic faith. But because God has chosen them, because Christ has called them, they... Will not end with a pathetic faith. But it is evident in not just them, it is evident in the whole generation. So our Lord draws forth a rebuke that was on Moses' lips to the people delivered out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. The nine disciples likely did try to cast out the demon, but they tried without faith. They tried by some technique. Perhaps they tried by saying certain words to the demon in some special word order that they thought reflected what they remembered Jesus doing. Maybe they had simply slipped into sort of a, almost a pagan incantation mindset that they could get the demon out by saying the words they remembered him saying. Or maybe because of a lack of faith, they misunderstood Jesus, thinking his power was in Certain expressions of the face or the body or the arm. We just don't know exactly how they tried. But we know they tried without faith. The Greek text doesn't actually say little faith. It says no faith in verse 20. Perhaps they thought because Jesus was way up on the mountain, they needed to wait, so they tried something modest that they conjured themselves. None of it worked. Whatever they did, they did not have faith in the doing. Meaning they did not do what we see the Father doing. And you know this Father. He's famous in the New Testament. He's the Father who said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not in this text, but it's in Mark 9. The disciples did not do what we see the Father doing. In verse 14 and 15. They did not cry out to Jesus for him to do by his power what needed to be done if he was pleased to do it. They did not yield themselves to the power of Jesus Christ. But let us take up that stern, severe rebuke of verse 17. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Beloved, the Lord is also saying this to some parents. Because there are some parents in the church of Jesus Christ who really only want Jesus to use his power to advance their children in the world. To advance their children in the world of sports. To advance their children in, in some worldly affair. And not require their children to lose something of the world to gain eternal life. What makes, then, a faithless generation? A faithless generation is a people who stop believing in the absolute necessity and urgency of the power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's a faithless generation. Who They stop believing in the necessity and the urgency of the power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom is to believe something else. It is to believe that everything we want and need in this life we can provide for ourselves. Which in turn means that what we really want are just the things that are in the reach of our human powers instead of the things that can only come from heavenly power. And the tell on this is our prayer life. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom means we have stopped praying in secret We have stopped praying when nobody's looking because everything we need and want, we see that the world and America is providing us. That's a faithless people. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom means churches that gather and function do not pray for unbelievers to be converted by the power of the gospel anymore. Unbelief in kingdom power believes that the people out there are fine just the way they are. They don't need a bloody cross. They don't need a crucified savior. They don't need repentance and faith. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom means a church that gathers and functions but believes that the most important thing its children need can be provided by some fine parenting techniques instead of by the Holy Spirit. That's a faithless generation. But it's really good for Christian bookstores. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom means a church that stops believing men and women and boys and girls must be born again. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, three. To stop believing in the power of the kingdom means a church that gathers and functions but does not preach the death of Jesus Christ as the central doctrine of that church's existence. It looks like a church, but it does not lift high the cross. It has a lot of creativity, a lot of enthusiasm, but it does not... Look to the power and wisdom of the cross. It's the church of Corinth. And to stop believing in the power of the kingdom means a church that stops believing that believers can change and must change. This little list helps you see what was infecting the generation that our Lord rebukes in verse 17. And it was even in some measure in the hearts of his disciples. It would be rooted out. He would do it, and he did it. But he sees it all coming at him as he has come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he expresses his exasperation using the language of Moses. Well, I do think it's appropriate, then, as a preacher, to answer our Lord's question in verse 17. Because it is quite surprising and startling. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Two questions. The answer to those two questions is, longer than you should, Lord. You will bear with us longer than you should. And so he did. The Lord bared with a faithless people all the way to the end to the cross of Christ, to break the power of the devil over them by canceling the debt that was against them, by nailing it to the cross. For the power of the devil was in the power of sin, and he broke it in his own death. In verse 20, our Lord uses a little aphorism that really is the heart of the gospel. Let me read it again. Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. What our Lord has just said, as nicely summarized by another brother, is that the insurmountable is accomplished by the infinitesimal. The infinitesimal is the small and almost microscopic. The insurmountable is accomplished by the infinitesimal. Beloved, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This small thing on the world stage, a man being crucified naked by the Roman powers. What a small little stupid thing that is on the world stage. Those Romans, they did not run up to their, their office and write it down and hand it to all their couriers and say, get the word out, we just crucified a Jew. No, they didn't because they did it all the time. It was an infinitesimal piece of news in the world. But it has moved mountains. How so? It has taken an entire race of fallen dead men and brought them to life. It has brought dead men out of the grave. It has converted men who were condemned and cold towards God, and they became red-hot and gave up their lives for Christ. These are the great mountains that have been moved. And so our Lord says, if you have faith like that, if you have that faith that is infinitesimal, obscure, not something that the world wants to put on camera or put in a glossy magazine, faith in the crucified one, Faith that Jesus is the power of God in the world. Faith that at the end of history, Jesus will be the judge of all men. Faith that his wounds are the wounds that have healed you. If you have that faith, you will be able to give to the world, even in words. Not even in technology, not even with special equipment. In words, you will be able to give the world the power of God, even your children, For you will be able to tell them, he who is the true source of all power, Jesus Christ. Amen.